better morning. Nothing wrong with the morning. It was the night before that there's fault to find with as Ohio State falls to Michigan State in East Lansing, 71-67. to It was closer than that, as you know, if you watched it or listened to it. The Buckeyes in control of this game in the second half, and then it slipped away. I was going to say they let it slip away. They did, but there's a lot to talk about in terms of how it slipped away, and we will get into all of that today on a Friday edition of the We Tackle Life podcast. I'm Bruce Hooley. I appreciate you guys joining me today, listening via whatever podcast platform it is or whether you're watching us live on YouTube or via Periscope on the We Tackle Life Twitter page or the Be Hools Twitter page. So thanks for joining us. All right, uh, let's get into it. Last night, uh, very frustrating loss. It results in the first ejection of Chris Holtman's Ohio State coaching career. I don't know if he got ejected at Gardner-Webb or Butler. If you coach long enough, you're going to get ejected. If you coach in the Big Ten long enough, you're going to get ejected multiple times because if you play 20 league games, that means 20 encounters with Big Ten officiating, which means either your head's going to blow off the top of your neck or you're going to let the steam out and they're going to take umbrage and they're going to eject you. Let's talk about the game before we get into the officiating which Twitter is not a good barometer of the officiating because your notifications, which I don't read anyway, come from Ohio State fans or the people that you follow are 95% Ohio State writers and maybe some fans that you've formed a bond with over the years. So I'm sure the Michigan State people looked at this game and didn't think a thing about it, just like I'm sure the Ohio State fans in the first Rutgers game didn't think that they got away with anything and the Rutgers center was tweeting about how the game was taken away from them and all that. So there's always something to gripe about when it comes to Big Ten officiating or probably any officiating. But when you have a situation where you score and all the officials have to do is go look at the monitor to see whether the shot was out of the player's hand before the shot clock hit zero, and they can't even get that right, then I think you can talk about some incompetence intruding on this game. But I'm going to try not to like lay it all on the officiating. Let's talk about the game. Okay, so Ohio State goes into East Lansing without Kyle Young. That's a big problem because Kyle Young is one of the few guys who can hold his own in the post on Ohio State's roster. That is the deficiency on this team. It is a bad year to have that deficiency because of Luca Garza at Iowa, who's coming into Ohio State on Sunday for a 4 o'clock tip, because of Kofi Coburn at Illinois, because of Hunter Dickinson at Michigan, and also because Wisconsin has bigs and Minnesota, and Liam Robbins has a big. So it's a big year for big men in the Big Ten. As Robbie Hummel pointed out last night, and as he pointed out, it was a big year for big men in the Big Ten last year. There's no longer a big man on the Ohio State roster because Caleb Wesson thought he was ready for the NBA, which he clearly, in the eyes of the NBA, was not because they did not draft him. Would Caleb Wesson help him this year? Mm, Yeah, be nice to have a big body like that. But Caleb Wesson wasn't going to come back this year and be happy being one of three or four threats on the team. And is E.J. Liddell given more room to grow as a player? Is Kyle Young given more room to grow as a player? Would there be a spot for Zed Key if Caleb Wesson were still here? And is Caleb Wesson truly a low-post player? No, not really, because he likes to shoot threes too much, and he doesn't really love banging, although he did it at isolated points in his career. When the Big Ten was called much differently, I might note, because Caleb was constantly in foul trouble, and had they called the Big Ten during Caleb's era, the way they're calling it now, Caleb would not have been in foul trouble very much, because clearly they're going to let guys get away with physical contact in the post. All right. Every time I try to talk about the game last night, it keeps coming back to officiating. But just to wrap up that little Caleb Wesson thought, I think Ohio State is a better team without Caleb Wesson this year than they would have been with Caleb Wesson this year because Caleb would have been concerned all the time about, and this does not at all indicate that he's a selfish player at all. Not at all. 
It's just that when you are in your final season and when you have designs on an NBA career, there are certain things that you want to accomplish. And it is an extremely rare case where a player in their final year puts the team's interest completely ahead of his own and doesn't care if their scoring average or their rebound average goes down. So I, for that reason, think Ohio State is a better team this year without Caleb Wesson than they would have been had Caleb Wesson returned. He made the right choice for him, and Ohio State basketball benefited from it. But are there isolated games where they could certainly use him as somebody to offset other teams' strength in the post? Sure. Okay, so let's get to the game last night. No Kyle Young. That's a problem. Shortens the bench. It asks more. I thought last night would be a big night for Zed Key. And in the first half, Zed Key was everything Ohio State could have wanted. Four for four from the floor, rebounds, playing great. And I thought, hey, we're going to be fine without Kyle Young. Turns out they weren't fine without Kyle Young. The rebounding numbers in this game, I think it was 34-26, something like that. Ohio State doesn't get out-rebounded by that margin very often. I know, Michigan State's really good at that, but that's not a typical Ohio State team. So they missed Kyle Young on the boards. They didn't get as many second shots as they would normally get if Kyle Young's in the lineup. And I just think it would have been a W if Kyle Young played. But he didn't play, so so what? We move on. All right, E.J. Liddell has had games where he has not been the 20-point E.J. Liddell that he's been a lot this season for Ohio State. But he has not had games where he starts one of nine from the field when he's getting the ball where he was getting the ball last night. Michigan State was extremely physical with Liddell, and the officials let it get away. They just absolutely let it get away. See, every time I try to talk about the game, it keeps coming back to the officiating. Maybe if I tell you about Hemisphere Coffee Roasters Coffee, I'll stop obsessing about the officiating, and I'll get to the actual nuts and bolts of the game. This is the newest coffee flavor from Hemisphere Coffee Roasters. Do you see it there? Bourbon barrel-aged coffee right there, baby, with the wax seal top. And what they do is they take, uh, I believe this is from... Indonesia, uh, but, but, but it's on here somewhere. Uh, I know I read it yesterday. Anyway, now I can't find it, obviously. But they take their coffee beans coming to them from one of their growers, and they put it in an actual bourbon barrel, and they roll it up and down the walkways and aisles of Hemisphere Coffee Roasters facility in Mechanicsburg, Ohio. And that infuses the beans with a bourbon flavor. Let me read you what they say about the flavor. Oak, caramel, sweet and nutty notes with an essence of fine bourbon. The beans are from Nicaragua. So uh, that's the latest flavor from Hemisphere. Use the promo code WETACKLELIFE in all caps. You'll get 15% off your order at HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com. Great people, great company, great mission, and we thank them very much for their support of the We Tackle Life podcast. Okay, so Ohio State, midway through the first half, takes control of the game. I thought Ohio State had a noticeable uptick when C.J. Walker came into the game. C.J. Walker is playing really, really well. That's a good sign for Ohio State. Senior point guard, great, awesome. Dwayne Washington and C.J. Walker both playing very well. Dwayne Washington was getting to the basket. He was hitting his threes, and they were able to withstand that one-of-nine start by E.J. Liddell with the guards playing well, with Justice Suing. Hey, welcome back, Justice Suing. He had eight points in the first half. He got in the lane twice. He did that little shimmy shake thing that he does, spinning left, right, hit a three. All's right with the world in the first half, except that, like has happened in way too many games this season, Ohio State will get a comfortable first-half lead. And then... They just take a mental respite. And with four and a half minutes to go in the first half, they are up 35 to 29 on Michigan State. And they have Michigan State right on this precipice of, uh uh-oh, 
are we really playing well like we did to beat Indiana and like we did to beat Illinois? Or are we in some trouble here with uh, Jeremy Langford having two fouls and Aaron Henry having two fouls? And I think the latter was true. Michigan State was on the precipice of having Ohio State say, I don't care if you beat Indiana on the road, and I don't care if you beat Illinois here the other night. We're coming in here, and we ain't losing two in a row after our loss to Michigan. We're taking you down, Sparty. Instead, they went four minutes and 42 seconds, Ohio State did, and scored three points. They scored three points. You cannot do that on the road. And it's quick shots. Are they open? Yeah, they're open. But maybe they're open for a reason. And they just have to show more discipline in those situations where they're up five, double it in the time that remains. Double it. Now, they were still up five and a half because Michigan State didn't do anything either, which to me is like, oh, we got away with it. No, no. Michigan State was inviting you to take control of that game, and you did not do it. And that's so frustrating to me because I can go back to um, Northwestern, Purdue, a bunch of games this year, most of them losses where you can find that bothersome stretch for Ohio State where they had a chance to take control of the game, assert more superiority in the game, and they don't do it. Okay, so then we get to the second half. And they just have Michigan State, you know, Michigan State comes back and ties it 40-40. Then, all of a sudden, the defense kicks in. They get a couple turnovers. They get a couple layups. They score 49-40. to They put a 9-0 run together, keyed off of, Chris Holtman getting really hot about EJ Liddell getting um, felonious assaulted, feloniously assaulted in the lane, no call. And Holtman did the right thing. Went out on the floor, red-faced, screaming at the refs. And you got two hoped-for results from that. A, it fires up your team. B, the officials... They would never say this consciously, but subconsciously, they start calling the game different. Okay, they accomplished first objective. The team started playing better because Ohio State shot it out to a 49-40 lead. But instead of the officials going, yeah, we probably should like start calling some stuff here, they let it get more physical at the Ohio State end, which was just stupid and incompetent. And I'd never heard any of these three bozos before. And likely you'll never hear from them again unless Holtman decides, hey, you know, we're playing Iowa Sunday, and then we have Illinois the next Sunday, and maybe I want to, in my next press conference, talk a little bit more plainly about the officiating quality or lack of quality in the Big Ten or lack of consistency in the Big Ten and take the fine in order to hold these guys' feet to the fire because if they let Luca Garza and Kofi Coburn get away with what they let Michigan State get away with defensively last night, we are really going to have a problem winning either one of those games, and we don't want to end the, end the year on a four-game losing streak. I doubt Chris Holtman will do that, but I'd sure think about it because he will protect his guys, and that would be another degree of protecting his guys. So, okay, tactical foul. Ohio State goes on a run. It's 49 to 40. And at 49 to 40, again, you have control of the basketball game and do not get careless. All right. Justin Orange has been big for Ohio State this season. He has been a big, big benefit. He spreads the floor with his three point shooting accuracy. But there are just some games where you can tell early on there's no place in this game for Justin Arns because all you have to do to take Justin Arns out of the game offensively is stick right on his belt buckle. That's all you have to do. He cannot get a shot off. He cannot dribble. He cannot clear space for himself. He can shot fake. He's a better player than he was. But if a team is determined to take Justin Arns out of the game, it's easier to do that than it is to take Dwayne Washington out of the game because he can drive or to take E.J. Liddell out of the game because he can spin, drive, shoot threes, Get your guy in the low block. 
Justin Arns, among Ohio State's offensive threats, is one of the easier threats to take out. And if they're going to take him out, then you have a choice to make. They have to occupy him with, or he has to occupy a defender. So you do gain something from Arns being out there and not scoring. But you also lose something because if he's not scoring, you have to put up with his defense at the other end. And every time Michigan State got a chance to take Arns to the basket, they did it. Sometimes they didn't score because of help defense, but they're doing it, okay? So there's a cost on each end. There's a benefit and there's a cost. You know that going in. And, okay, you can reconcile that and you can live with that. What you do not know going in is that Justin Arns is going to get not just one, but two breakaway opportunities to score, and he's not going to get any points out of either one of them. I don't think I've ever seen that in basketball in a closely contested, important game for a guy to have the lead after stealing the ball or getting an outlet pass on the defense twice in a, I don't know, probably two-minute span, and they didn't get any points out of either one. On the first one, Justin made a nice play to intercept, steal the ball, and he gets out in transition. And even before he crossed half court, he was looking back like uh, Seabiscuit's jockey in the movie, <laughs> looking over this shoulder, and here comes you know the problem over the other shoulder. You have to get points out of those. You have to. You can't take the ball all the way to the basket and not shoot it which is hap what happened on the first one. And on the second one, and they got no points out of that possession, and on the second one, you have to take the ball to the basket. You have a friend at the basket. The basket is your friend. The basket is a device to be used to screen the defender off of blocking your shot. And Justin Arns did not use that opportunity, did not avail himself of the basket to shield the defender, did not go up strong to dunk the basketball, would he have gotten his shot blocked the second time if he had gone up to dunk it? Maybe. Is it a harder play defensively to block a shot that's being dunked with force and will and purpose? Yeah, it is. Okay, so then Zed Key misses two free throws. And C.J. Walker misses a layup. And now you've had an opportunity for eight points, and you got bupkis out of it. Now you're in a dogfight. And when you're in a dogfight... Sometimes the other dog wins, and that is what happened. The other dog won because Zed Key wasn't giving him any points in the second half. Justice Suing wasn't giving him any points in the second half. Seth Towns gave him two. CJ, It was all C.J. Walker, Dwayne Washington, and E.J. Liddell. That was it. Okay. With Kyle Young out, they decided to play Musa Jallo 32 minutes. Musa Jallo on a sprained ankle. I understand it. Musa Jallo is a good defender. Musa Jallo, when healthy, is an excellent defender. He's not an offensive threat. I don't think he took a shot. He didn't take a shot last night. I know he didn't. And I didn't notice him having any impact on the game. Maybe he did. Maybe he's the reason why Langford took so long to get going. But there was a play near the end of the game when Michigan State was coming back where Jallo's lack of mobility, maybe he was leaning one way. He wasn't ready defensively, and he just put his hands on the guy and gave Michigan State two free points, which at that juncture of the game, you would have really loved to have made them work hard to score. So when you play Justin Arns 20 minutes and you play Musa Jallo 32 and you get one shot out of him and you get no points out of him, that's hard to overcome. You're playing four on five or three on five. You just are. And um, that's I'm not questioning Chris Holtman's use of them. I'm I'm saying that's what you have to do when Kyle Young is not playing, and that's a problem. And so, you know, we got a guy concussed where there was no foul called from the Michigan game because they let Hunter Dickinson do whatever he wanted with his elbows and his body. And now you got a game where EJ Liddell gets absolutely, you know assaulted in the low post and I don't blame Chris Holtman for getting the two technicals because that's really the only opportunity you have to demonstrate your complete and utter disdain for the way that game was called so as for the other egregious officiating error 
I do not know how you have video evidence of the ball being like this far out of Dwayne Washington's hand when he hits a desperation three in the end of the first half at the shot clock. And you over and you say no shot, no basket. Like, what is that? That's ridiculous. Inexcusable. Those guys who made that call, I mean, I think that actually was what Chris Holtman was really ticked about. And so when you're already ticked and somebody does something else, you get even more angry than you initially were. And so I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd love an explanation for that. It was close. Holtman was asked after the game, what did they tell you on the three from Dwayne Washington? It was close. No, it really wasn't close. It was out of his hand. Like one on the clock, zero. And even the two guys, Robbie Hummel and the other guy, Benetti from ESPN are like, well, we got the official clock. Robbie Hummel at the end of the game, Dwayne Washington going to the basket. Ohio State down 69 to 67. He gets hit in the head and on the arm, no call. I hate the logic. Well, you can't call that at the end of the game. No, you can call that at the end of the game. There are two schools of thought in sports that I vehemently disagree with. We got into one at the uh, Michigan game just the other day. This school of thought that, well, there are a million plays in a basketball game and there's a million plays in a football game or a baseball game. So that error, that drop pass, that missed layup, that dumb turnover, that didn't really cost us a game because something happened in the first half. You know, they got two points out of a layup. Yeah, but you get the chance to react to that the rest of the game. And so that's why a mistake at the end of the game is magnified and often is the one play that lost you the game. Like Justice Suing's behind-the-back pass turnover three-point play against Michigan. And last night, not calling the foul on, I think it was Langford, on Dwayne Washington's layup. Put Dwayne Washington on the free throw line where he deserves to be. He earned the foul. He got by his man. He went to the basket. He did everything right. You didn't do your job, officials. That's one. The, oh, it, you know, it doesn't matter at the end of the game, blah, 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 blah. And, or, and so the other is you can't call that at the end. You got to let them play at the end. No, you'd call it in the first half. You'd call it with four minutes to go. You'd call it with two minutes to go. Call it in the last second. Why is that different? Pass interference in the end zone. Ravens 49ers Super Bowl. Oh, you can't call that at the end. Of course you can. It's a penalty. Call it. So I'm, I'm steamed about that game last night. And I've n I don't remember seeing Chris Holtman that mad after a game last night. He was working really hard to not say the wrong thing, which actually I think might have been the right thing to say at that time. Okay, let me tackle the issue here. Are they struggling? After I mention that, if you're struggling for health insurance information, is my policy good? Is this what I want? Do I have the right kind of coverage? Uh, then... The place to go is auiinfo.com. I'll put that on the crawl for you so you can see it and remember it. There is an opportunity now to change your health insurance. Typically, you don't get that chance if you're an individual. Anytime except November, December. That's the open enrollment period. President Biden's reopened that with an executive order giving people the chance to look again at their health insurance. So you don't have to do it. Let auiinfo do it for you. You don't have to even pay them. You don't even get the option to pay them. They're already paid by the health insurance company. Sometimes uh, we have benefits we don't know about, and one of the benefits of having health insurance is that they build into the policy the cost of you consulting with a health insurance brokerage professional, consultant, whatever you want to call it. And that's what auiinfo.com is. They're a consultant. They are a health insurance brokerage. They put people with any, and I, I can't stress that enough, any health insurance company, sneeze coming, I think. Um, so, sorry. Uh, I'm, I have the antibodies. Don't worry. I won't get you sick with COVID. Um, <laughs> so that's what you're paying for with any health insurance coverage. So you might as well get the benefits you're paying for. And that's the consultation, free, free advice, free expertise of auiinfo.com. Okay. Are, are the Buckeyes struggling now, having lost two in a row to Michigan and Michigan State. 
Michigan State's playing with desperation. Michigan's really good. If you watched Iowa-Michigan last night, how good is Michigan? They're really good. I hate saying that because Juwan Howard is one of the people in basketball. How can I say this kindly since this is a, also a christian theme podcast? I struggle to like Juwan Howard. I struggle to process his incessant, constant whining. It's Bob Huggins-like, without Huggy Bear's charm. Uh, but Michigan is super good. I mean, they're really good. They got everything. It's not a single thing they lack. They play defense. They drive the ball to the basket. They cut well. They pass well. They shoot well. And they got a beast in the middle, and they got a beast to back him up, and they're just really good. Okay. So losing to them is no disgrace. Losing at Michigan State is no disgrace, given that the officials didn't give you a fair shot to win the game. Now you got Iowa, and Iowa's peeved. They've been struggling lately. They got smoked. They're coming into Columbus, and they think they can win the game. And I would think I could win the game, too. Uh, I don't know if they're going to have all their guys back. They were missing one or two last night. McCaffrey's kid, one of them got hurt in the game. He'll probably be okay for Sunday. And I don't know if Ohio State will have Kyle Young. So that's a root canal Sunday, 4 o'clock against Iowa. How's that game going to be called? No idea. But I know this. Fran McCaffrey and Chris Holtman are both going to be in the official shorts in that game. Watch the first five minutes. Good players, transformative players, in this game with a chance to decide the game, have an opportunity to get two quick fouls in this game Sunday. Hopefully it happens to Garza, who got away with murder the first time they played Ohio State, and not E.J. Liddell, but I think Garza has more gravitas with the refs, and so E.J. is going to have to watch himself. And Zed Key is going to have to be big throughout on Sunday, not just in the first half. And hopefully Kyle Young will be back, but honestly I doubt that he'll be back. So, no, I don't think Ohio State is struggling because it's no disgrace to lose to Michigan, and the Michigan State game can be explained away by forces outside of Ohio State's control. It is very possible Ohio State will end this year on a four-game losing streak, and I still won't think they're struggling because those are four really good teams. But here's what good teams don't do. Good teams don't get leads against Northwestern, Purdue, Michigan State, and lose all three of them. They just don't do it. Ohio State is built to nurse leads to the finish line like they had in those games because what do you need to nurse those leads to the finish line? Great free throw shooters who are your ball handlers, and Ohio State has that with C.J. Walker and Dwayne Washington. They take questionable shots at the ends of games, and they commit un timely turnovers as if there's ever a timely turnover and they have too many guys on the team suing Arns who vanish when you need some contributions suing scored two points in the second half Arns didn't score all night can't have it can't have it and so I don't think they're struggling it wouldn't surprise me if they end the year on a four-game losing streak or losing three out of four if they win their final two they're fine I think they're still a one or a two. They have the opportunity, of course, at the Big Ten tournament. Nobody can say with any certainty right now that Ohio State is is or isn't a one or is or isn't a two. They could fall all the way to a three. I could see that. They'd be a bear of a three. But uh, for a while last night, they played decent defense. They didn't play decent defense long enough. Okay. One other story, Tiger Woods has been moved to a new hospital, an orthopedic hospital. Um, I had the chance to talk to my friend, Dr. Pete Edwards of Orthopedic One, the other day on my radio show on 98.9 The Answer. Pete didn't come out and say this. I'll paraphrase what he said. It's a long shot for Tiger to play competitive elite golf again. It just is. When you have compound fractures breaking through the skin in multiple areas, your ankle is crushed. Um, he can't swing the golf club ever again the way that a lot of guys swing the golf club now, which is to blast off that lower, uh, that force from your right leg for a right-handed golfer. Watch Ricky Fowler. Watch Justin Thomas. Watch Rory McIlroy. Watch Brooks Kepka. Watch any of them swing. They are putting so much pressure on that right leg, loading it with weight, transferring that weight, pushing up as they come through the ball. With Tiger having dramatic right leg uh, fractures and trauma, he's going to have to relearn how to hit the golf ball. 
He's going to have to hit thousands and thousands and thousands of golf shots on a leg that is literally pieced back together with back problems. Not going to happen. Okay? Not going to happen. He's had a great career. I think he's destined to end his career as a pro golfer with 82 wins tied with Sam Snead, which that's not all bad. Sam Snead deserves to have some uh, notoriety throughout the history of golf. Tiger's never going to catch Jack. Forget that. He's got 15 majors. He's not getting three more. He's not getting four to beat him. No chance. Zero. And, you know, Tiger, he was driving and... It's good that no one hit him. It's good that it was no one's fault. But I uh, wish the best for Tiger. But that's a just a you know an awful circumstance that happened to him. And um, really, what you should be hoping for, realistically, is that he can lead a normal life. That he doesn't have the complications that Alex Smith had because his injuries are worse than Alex Smith's. And if you watch that Alex Smith documentary, who? A lot of bad things can happen infection-wise when you have what happened to Tiger happen. So that's my assessment of Tiger Woods' situation as he enters a very, very, very long and protracted rehab battle. Uh, If you're in a battle legally, hey, how about that segue? Willis Spangler Starling is your attorney firm to go with. Personal injury, workers' compensation, wills estate planning, probate, employment law, they handle all the major genres of the law. And uh, I jokingly say you don't want to look for help in some situations at the moment you need help. Like, you don't want to, hey, where's my shark repellent when you're attacked by a shark? Or, oh, wait, I, I jumped out of the plane. Now I need a parachute. No, that's bad. And it's not as quite as debilitating to be looking for an attorney when you need one. But it's not necessarily that far away from that kind of uh, failure in advanced planning. So just resolve now. If I ever have a legal situation, I'm going to go with Willis Spangler Starling. It's Bruce's firm. It is the official attorney firm of my radio show. And they're great people, Christian people. And the, the essence of Christianity is to take the gifts God gives you and use them to benefit other people, to serve others and not expect anything in return. And that's what Kelly, Stan, Ashley, Phil, and the attorneys at Willis Spangler Starling do. So remember that name, Willis Spangler Starling online, willisattorneys.com. Okay, now we go to, oh, our old friend Kyrie Irving. I'm always looking for sports topics that you guys might find relevant to give you my spin. So here is a headline I saw today on ESPN.com. Brooklyn Nets, Kyrie Irving, happy to push discussion for Kobe Bryant as NBA's logo. All right, you know the logo with the NBA. It's got the silhouette of Jerry West on it. Okay. So Kyrie now is on this bent to have Kobe Bryant's silhouette be the logo for the NBA. He posted it on social media, and he's asked about it because, of course, you know, you put, this is how it works now. You control your own narrative as a sports or entertainment celebrity. You post something that's mildly controversial or you know something new. Hey, let's go talk to him about that. And so he said, we want to set a standard and precedent like this is excellence. Kobe Bryant logo. Yes, needs to happen. I don't care what anyone says. Well, I'm not surprised at that kind of ego maniacal viewpoint from Kyrie Irving, who early in his NBA career in Cleveland, while I was working in Cleveland, I dubbed Kai me Irving because that is all Kyrie Irving cares about is me, 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 me. I know he hit the big shot that gave the Cavs the NBA championship. Great, fantastic. Doesn't give you license to be a jerk all the time before and after, which he has always been. This idea from Kyrie Irving, it's not as stupid as his flat earth theory because very few things are as stupid. But let's just tear down his logic on making Kobe Bryant the logic, the uh, logo of the NBA. In an Instagram post Wednesday, Irving put up a photo of a modified NBA logo with Bryant swapped in as the figure in the middle with this caption, Gotta happen, I don't care what anyone says, and then in all caps, Black Kings built the league. Okay, so Vanessa Bryant, the w- widow of Kobe Bryant, likes the post. Sure she does. Of course, who wouldn't like that to have your 
uh, late husband as the logo of the league. And so they ask Kyrie about it. And he says, I want that to be something in history that has changed forever, that our generation was part of that change. And if that means that I have to lead that forward and get the conversation going, then great. Now, I'd like to assess this movement that Kyrie has come up with. First of all, has Jerry West done anything to not be the logo of the league? No, he has not. Except that Jerry West has said before, in very humble, gracious ways, I think I shouldn't be the logo of the league. Uh, If I were the NBA, Jerry West said, I'd be embarrassed about it. I don't like to do anything, call attention to myself. If they want to change it, I wish they would. In many ways, I wish they would. So Jerry West's okay with it. All right, fine. I don't have a problem with that. But here's my issue with it. If you're going to change the logo, is Kobe Bryant a better choice than Michael Jordan? Like, who's the greatest player in the history of the NBA? It's either Jerry West, excuse me, it's either uh, Michael Jordan or it's LeBron James. Okay? So, I personally think the NBA should have a generic silhouette behind it of a basketball player, maybe of two basketball players, whatever. I don't care. But to make it Kobe Bryant and to not make it Michael Jordan or to not make it LeBron James, like why are we making it Kobe Bryant? Because Kobe died in a helicopter crash? Is that why? Does that add an extra oompa loompa to Kobe's career? I mean... A lot of guys die in tragic ways. Uh, I, I just don't see the logic behind it. Like, I'm not surprised that Kyrie Irving wants Kobe Bryant to be the face of the league because Kyrie Irving is first and foremost a selfish player. And while Kobe Bryant was a stone-cold killer at the end of games, and there's a lot to admire about the way he played basketball, there's also a lot to question about the way he played basketball because he was not a consummate team guy unless... The team revolved around him. How many championships could the Lakers have won if Kobe Bryant had peaceably coexisted and humbled himself to sublimate his own ego to be a teammate with Shaquille O'Neal? Instead, he drove Shaquille O'Neal out. And did he win titles without Shaquille O'Neal? Yes, he did. But did he win as many as he would have won had he continued to be a teammate of Shaquille O'Neal? I think the logical argument would be no. So I'm not surprised that Kyrie Irving, who had it all in his hand with LeBron James in Cleveland and could have won perhaps other NBA championships and then asked out because he wanted to go be the star, I'm not surprised that he idolizes a guy like Kobe Bryant because that's part of who Kobe was. It's not the entirety of who Kobe was, but it's certainly part of who Kobe was. So to me, this is just stupid. And the comment that Black Kings built this league... I will acknowledge that black players have been transformative in the NBA, but what? Did Larry Bird have no role in building the league? You want to know who saved the NBA? Larry Bird and Magic Johnson saved the NBA. There'd be no NBA without Larry Bird and Magic Johnson. There'd be no NBA without uh, the contra- there'd be no NBA with the kind of luster that it has without George Mikan, without Red Auerbach, without John Havlicek without Dirk Nowitzki, without John Stockton. To to say that black kings built the league, of course. So did white kings. So did coaches. So did GMs. So did owners. Oh, excuse me. What are they called now? I don't know. Stewards. Can't call them owners because that brings out like slave imagery. Um, What are they called? Governors. They're governors. Okay. So this is a stupid reason given by Kyrie Irving, who is a self-absorbed, selfish, um, brat, punk, always has been, and until I see any instance of humility in him, I will always believe he will never change as that kind of a player. So, dumb idea for the reasons he gave. Um, If you're going to change the logo to someone and you're going to argue that Kobe Bryant deserves it. The only thing Kobe Bryant could ever say that he has in 
uh, superiority to Michael Jordan, and Jordan could still do this, is to die in some unexpected, tragic way. So if you're going to change the logo, you you can change the logo. I'm fine with it. But to change it to Kobe Bryant over Michael Jordan or LeBron is stupid. But of course it is because it's Kyrie's idea and he traffics in stupidity. All right. Um, nothing else to get into from that. That's like a rip job right before the faith portion of the podcast. But you know what? Jesus spoke truth and he didn't care if people liked it. And um, I hope that I am a person that speaks truth. And there's a verse in one of Paul's epistles that says, if I'm still trying to please men, then I wouldn't be pleasing, I wouldn't be serving God. So sometimes you have to, in speaking the truth, speak it plainly, boldly, clearly, hopefully with uh, dispassionate tones and humility. So I would happily say anything I just said about Kyrie, I would say to his face. In the faith portion of the podcast today, I want to talk about prayer. I wanted to talk about desperation. I received a very nice text today from a friend of mine who said that he uh, is praying for me. And I was wowed by that, awed by that, thankful for that. I pray for him too. He's got some serious... Uh, adversity in his life, and I hope and pray, as I have been praying for he and his wife for quite some time, that um, there will be healing in their lives. They may they have suffered an unspeakable loss in their lives of a child. Okay, so let's talk about prayer. And there are times in your life where you need prayer, and you're just so desperate at the end of yourself that you can't even bring yourself to really connect with God in prayer. I've been there. And in those moments, your desperation is heightened because you're seeking that fellowship. But it's just so difficult to push through and feel that connection. The connection is there. God never goes away. He promises in Isaiah 41, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed. For I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. That's very encouraging. That's the Lord God. That's the one and only God of the universe speaking uh, through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 41.10. In Matthew chapter 28, what are the final words of Jesus as he ascended into heaven to the disciples? Yeah, great commission. Go into all the world preach the gospel, baptizing people in the name of the Father, you know, and uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And then the final sentence of Christ was, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So God said it and Jesus said it. They're with us always. Say, I don't feel that. I don't feel that. Okay. I understand, but this is where truth has to overcome your feelings. Feelings lie to you. They just do. I'm attracted to that one. Here's a lot of here's the inane excuse a lot of people give who have an adulterous marital affair. God meant me to be with that person. No. <laughs> no. That's a lie. That's your feelings which you've self-generated. God does not want you to be with somebody other than the person that you swore before him at your marriage ceremony that you would be loyal to in sickness and in health, richer, poorer, better, or worse. No, he does not want you to be with someone else. I feel that. Well, your feelings are lying to you, and your feelings often lie to you. What you have to do is you have to focus on the truth. The truth is, as in Isaiah, it says, don't fear, I'm with you. Jesus said, I'm with you all the way to the end of the age. Okay, so when you're desperate, when you're hurting, when you cannot bring yourself to pray, it should be an enormous comfort to you that you know God's not a liar, Jesus is not a liar, they say they're with you. And as if you needed a third reason to believe it, in Romans 8, which if you were going to have a theological discussion of 
the greatest single book in the Bible. There are 66 books in the Bible. Romans, written by Paul to the church in Rome, to believers in Rome, Romans would get a lot of votes as the greatest book of the Bible. It would also be in contention for greatest chapter in the Bible, Romans 8, and it would be in contention for greatest verse in the Bible because a lot of people have Romans 8.1 as their life verse. There's no, Therefore, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No matter what you've done, you're not condemned because if you're in Christ Jesus and he has provided a way for you to be forgiven and you've claimed it, that means you're in Christ Jesus. That's a lot of people's life verse. A lot of people hold on to Romans 8.28, which is where people go when they're having suffered a, suffered a big loss. In all things, God works for the good of those who love him. A lot of people claim that who shouldn't claim it because they haven't done their piece of the puzzle, which is to accept Christ as their Savior. And they say, wow, you know, God works all things together for good. Yeah, for those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. Yeah, he promises that. But if you're not showing, if you haven't made the decision to adopt Jesus as your Savior, sorry, you're claiming the promise and you haven't fulfilled your end. But that is a verse that a lot of people hold on to, and that was a very meaningful verse to me. My verse is at the end of Romans 8, which says, um, I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons nor anything in all creation can ever separate us from the love of Christ, which is in Christ Jesus. So I didn't quote that exactly, but it's nothing, nothing can separate you from Christ's love. You're locked in. So those are three verses in one chapter of the Bible, Romans 8, that many, many people hold on to. So Romans, the book would be in contention for uh, people to argue theologically, oh, that's the greatest book in the Bible. Romans 8 would be, oh, that's the greatest chapter in the Bible. And it has at least three verses in it that would be in contention for people to go, hey, that's the greatest verse in the Bible. And I'm going to read you another verse in Romans that will give you assurance and comfort if you're in that desperation mode where you're just not connecting with God. And that is where God lays out one of the duties of his Holy Spirit, which comes to live inside you, empowering you to connect with him and be driven by him and be uh, guided by him to have God set your GPS for how you treat others, how you think, how you act, and that is Romans 8, 26 and 27. It says, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for. Remember I described that situation? You lose a child, you lose a spouse, sudden accident, cancer diagnosis, something horrible happens in your life, and you're like, oh, you're crushed, and you, don't, you can't even like connect in prayer. And it says in those situations, we don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us. So he takes that baton from us. We can't pray, but he goes, don't worry, I got it. I'm going to pray for you. And he doesn't just pray for us. It says he intercedes with us, for us, with groans that words cannot express. So you're in that situation right now where you are struggling with something and you are hurting and you just cannot connect with God. Take comfort in the fact that God promises you in Isaiah 41.10, hey, don't fear, I got you, I'm with you. Jesus says in Matthew 28, hey, I'm with you all the way to the end of the age. So that's Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The promise in Romans 8, 26 is when you are leveled, crushed, legs cut out from under you, so overwhelmed by whatever in life is covering you up to the point where you're just like, ah, I can't go on, I can't do it. The Holy Spirit, the third part of the Trinity, feels that same pain, desperation, and 
intercedes on your behalf with the Father, with the Son, praying with such compassion, such identity with what you're feeling, that he, he, like you would be, are groaning. Oh, Lord, please, please, please. And he feels that with groanings that are too deep for words to express. So I've been there. My friend is there as he continues this battle with grief, which is an insidious enemy. And you may be there, but take comfort. Nothing in the Bible that is promised is untrue. Nothing. It's all true. That's why this book has the capacity to change your life every single time you pick it up. And be encouraged by the reality that God says, don't fear, I'm with you, that Jesus says, I'm with you all the way to the end. And in Romans 8, 26 and 7, the Spirit will intercede for you. He'll pick up that baton from you when you can't do it. And he'll intercede with you, and he identifies with your groanings, with your suffering, with your desperation, with your pain. And he translates it to the Lord perfectly. So that is what I have for you today as we end the podcast. And I look forward to visiting with you on Monday after hopefully a victory over Iowa and hopefully a game where we don't have to talk about officiating because it sounds like whining. But in the case of the Buckeyes last night, I think it was justified. So thank you for your time. Thank you for your attention. Have a blessed weekend, and we'll talk to you again. Send me an email. Let me know what you think of the content. Let me know how the faith portion speaks to you, what you'd like for me to uh, weigh in on. We tackle life at gmail.com. Be great if you would post a review on iTunes. I'd appreciate that. And um, if you want to support us on Patreon, you can. So thank you very much. Have a great day. God bless. Talk to you soon. Thank you.